So guys, it looks like I finally decided what I want to do with my podcast. I first started off with this podcast doing like scripted content, trying to do an, uh, a show where I'd cover some mystery or cryptid or whatever each episode. And then I started having guests and then I just did solo content where I'd rant, kind of like what I'm doing now. And my last episode was me narrating Grey Barker's amazing poem, UFO is a Bucket of Shit. As you see my podcast is a clusterfuck. But today I realized that I am actually doing an audio blog, not a podcast. A blog in audio form because I find it much easier to uh, talk than to actually sit down and write an actual blog. I do have bad eyesight though as well. But yeah, I realized I'm doing a blog because today something happened where I actually sat down and wrote something very, very intricate. And it was a lot of fun. So I'm thinking, wow, I should maybe convert it into an article, into an essay, into a blog, expand upon it, blah, blah, blah. And then I realize I'm just too lazy for that. <laughs> So instead, I am going to read you what I actually wrote later on in this episode. But first, guys, I need to confess, I am slowly becoming the Gaia theory guy. If you are not aware of what I'm talking about, I hope you listened to my episodes, Gaia theory and the control system hypothesis, because it is the most important episode for my show. And in the episode, I shared my own views of how I see the paranormal through the lens of the Gaia hypothesis, which is a real biological hypothesis that the planet Earth is a super organism. And though it is the most important episode of my podcast, it is not the most most important episode of my podcasting career because during the last month I actually guested on two different podcasts where I shared these views on the Gaia hypothesis and this was an amazing experience that just burst this little paranormal bubble I was trapped inside and opened up my horizons and allowed me to see that there is a whole world of paranormal research out there that I can just learn more from. Doing these two guest appearances is the most important thing I have done in my podcasting career and very eye-opening experiences. So the first appearance was on Six Degrees of John Keel and I'll link the episodes but this episode was episode 82 Science Gaia and Archetypes with Darwin where Barbara and I discussed the Gaia hypothesis and how it integrates with the paranormal and the Fortean for over two and a half hours. And no, I wasn't silly and offensive and wacky and whatever as I am on my show. Uh, when I guest on other shows, I am actually very polite. And I don't know, I feel more comfortable on other people's shows than I do on mine because I don't know what <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing with my own show. So yeah, link will be in my episode description. Check that episode out because it is amazing stuff. And it was me talking with a like-minded individual who, who essentially came to the same conclusions as me throughout her life, but through the perspective perspective of animism and monism and spirituality more, while I came to it rather from biology and science. A lot of stuff in that episode will be very relevant for the stuff I'm going to discuss on this 
thing I'm recording now. And the other appearance, also with a like-minded individual who also came to the same conclusions as me, but via mysticism more than science, I appeared on the podcast Campfire Tales of the Strange and Unsettling, where I sat down and discussed the Gaia theory with my friend Jordan for over an hour and a half. This episode was more rapid-paced because they use uh, background music that makes it seem as we're uh, (laughs) talking around a campfire and scary ominous music that kind of dramatizes what I'm talking about. And also I expanded on some of the concepts that I talked about on Six Degrees of John Keel. Looks like the more and more I guest on other shows talking about this, the more I can precisely articulate what I want to talk about. (laughs) That episode will be in my uh, episode description. Again, Campfire Tales of the Strange and Unsettling, Fireside Chats, The Gaia Hypothesis with Vuk. And yeah, that is my real name, which I don't know if I ever mentioned on my own podcast, my real name, but Jordan insists on me using my real name on his show because I am his friend and not the character that I portray, I guess. Fun fact, people, I am Serbian. Now, you know, I live in Bosnia and Herzegovina, but we have three ethnic groups and I am Serbian. And Vuk is the Serbian word for wolf. So my name is literally Wolf. Not a derivative, but my name is actually Wolf. So no wonder I would be a huge supporter of the Gaia hypothesis and of nature and nature's influence on the paranormal, because my real name actually has folkloric significance in my part of the world. So back in the old days when women would have many miscarriages or babies would die instantly, you know, how things were back then, women would give their uh, new son the name Vuk, meaning wolf, literally, because it was believed that witches and fairies were afraid of wolves and uh, that they were actually the cause of baby deaths. So in order to uh, ward away witches and fairies from the baby, you would give the baby uh, the name of a beast. Now, other variations and more Christian variations, because we used to be pagan, but then converted to Christianity. Uh, The more Christian interpretation is that women would give their son the name wolf because uh, God does not want to take away a beast. So right off the bat, I was born and given a name which ties me into folklore and the paranormal and the fae and nature and Gaia. So no wonder I'd end up here where I am now. Anyways, check both of those episodes out. Links in my episode description. They are essential to understanding what I am going to go into. So after guesting on these two shows, I got a huge amount of support from a lot of people and some people I did not expect to receive feedback from. Some of them uh, asking me a lot of questions so I may elaborate further and further on my ideas and I'm like, wow, people are actually listening to my bullshit. I may be underestimated how many people in the Paranormal 14 community are thirsty for ideas which which break the, the mold of the traditional flesh and blood and nuts and bolts understanding of all this phenomena who are more interested in the, not, not the esoteric, but more like psychedelic, uh, higher consciousness concepts and concepts which unify all the fields together and which unify the cosmos and humanity and nature and the paranormal all into one system. That's what I'm trying to do uh, using the Gaia hypothesis, a real biological concept to explain the paranormal. Now, I reached out uh, a while ago to a 14 researcher, a kind of bigger name in the field, who is known as a supporter of the Gaia theory. And I heard him on podcasts a few times, people ask him, oh, what is this Gaia theory? 
thing you you propose and he says oh that is so complicated we can't go into that now and i was baffled when i heard of this individual like i did not know that somebody else came to the same conclusions of utilizing gaia hypothesis to explain the paranormal i constantly and constantly come to conclusions and realize that other people came to the same conclusions and though i do feel less special and unique uh, again that solidifies and kind of proves to me that maybe i am onto something maybe if other people are independently all coming to the same conclusions at once convergently like in convergent evolution then maybe there is something there maybe like in convergent evolution with biological organisms the same ecological factors exist out there and they form and mold the beings into the same shapes so we are molded into the same conclusions because we are all observing the reality we all share and seeing it for what it is so just today i got an email from this person now i am not naming this person because this just happened today and i am not <laughs> i'm not aware if this person wants to be named or not but it is uh, a name in the 14 research community so what i was thinking for this episode is i got this email and i read it i responded to it very elaborately and i was thinking wow i should do a blog i can write stuff i can put my ideas into written words not just thoughts and ideas i blurt out of my mouth but since i don't have a blog and since i'm too lazy to write and to be frank guys like podcasting is the best way to reach an audience um i make an episode on something and immediately it's on google searches i tried blogs and whenever i'd write something you can't find it on google like it doesn't exist so if you want a blog the best thing to do is just do a podcast because whatever you put out will appear in the google searches because you are using and exploiting a platform that already has a lot of viewership and clicks and whatnot so yeah i had this email discussion with this person so i am going to read you the email i got from them and then i will read you the response as well as maybe elaborating further because it does expand on my gaia hypothesis and i'm thinking whoever is listening to this now is interested in just that so the email i got reads Hi Vuk, my real name. I have now made my way through both the Six Degrees and the Campfire Chats podcasts, and both shows were quite good. You present complex material in a clear and concise manner without excessive scientific jargon. I think you make the subject accessible to the general reader. Yeah, that's what I was going for, because I've already stated many times, like, as a former biological teacher, I understand that you as a teacher know the hard science and you are a gateway, a scientific gateway, in a sense, to the layman public. So you act as a translator. Now that that will come into play later on when I talk about some things. So they went on to say, I am so steeped in the material that I cannot say that I learned anything new, in quotations. What was most valuable to me was your unique way of framing the issues with appropriate analogies. One line of thought which did cause me to ponder was your speculation that the planet was possibly being destroyed for some higher purpose. Maybe you were creating the future habitat of something else. Quotation. That's a quote of me from Six Degrees of John Keel. As I understand it, you were saying that humanity slash Gaia were making the planet unlivable, so we would be forced to become a spacefaring civilization. This would suit Gaia's need to reproduce using humans as the vector. Maybe the sooner the better as Gaia might see it. So, right out the bat, 
that I realize what I said on Six Degrees of John Keel regarding the ecological threat of humanity upon the, the earth is very controversial because I did say that eco-activism is very politicized and that maybe there is a purpose for us destroying and polluting the planet, but I will provide more context into that later in my response. But I just wanted to say this is speculation from me. I am not a climate change denier. I'm a freaking biologist, so I am well aware of the scientific basis of how much we have fucked up the planet. What I was trying to say there, and maybe uh, the message was not conveyed as best as I could have, was that our behavior is the product of Gaia and has a Gaian purpose. So anything we do has a Gaian purpose, be it good or evil, because in the end, it is some for some purpose that we do probably do not understand. I'll go into that later. Man, I'm digging myself into a hole. So on Six Degrees, I propose maybe we are being tricked into destroying the planet, so the planet may kick us out of the house as teenagers, so it may utilize us as seeds, so just like a plant disperses its seeds, um, it may use us to explore the galaxy and further expand the radius of Gaia. Essentially, we would be the vectors of panspermia, and panspermia is the theory that life evolved on planet Earth because it came to Earth via an asteroid, like a bacteria or something, and then evolved into everything we have now. So maybe we would be the vectors of panspermia, essentially the seeds that disperse throughout the universe and spread out the outreach of of Gaia. And maybe Gaia does not get destroyed, maybe it just revitalizes itself without humanity and continues existing for bacteria and amoeba, because when we talk about climate change and uh, how much we fuck the planet, we talk about organisms that we can comprehend. Pandas and otters and other cute poster children for endangered and close to extinct animals, but we forget how much bacteria there is out there, how many microorganisms and lichens and fungus and everything. This is all stuff that can maybe revitalize itself and exist on the planet, and it is life. The pandas are not necessarily all that life provides on this planet. So continuing on the uh, email, all in all, you cover the most important tenets of the Gaia paranormal conjecture. I do favor the terms materialization and manifestation rather than the term projection in referring to the various paranormal phenomena which present to humans. So yeah, uh, maybe on the shows I did say projection, and this was my attempt to sound more like uh, Jacques Vallée, because Jacques Vallée has this uh, theory of a control system that is responsible for the paranormal, where we are being projected imagery so we may react and stuff like that. So projection is more in line with uh, Jacques Vallée, uh, and materialization manifestation is more very woo and paranormal. Now, I use the terms interchangeably, but there is a reason when I choose to use which word, because I am still on the fence of whether the origin of the paranormal is internal or external, whether there is something out there interacting with us, or whether uh, the paranormal is a natural component of the human experience and of the human psyche. So it's maybe internal, it comes from us. Now, now I am also on the fence of whether the paranormal manifests actually in physical reality or whether it is just a psychological projection. So based on how I feel at the moment when talking about this, if this is something material or immaterial or if it is psychological or external, I would use manifestation because manifestation would refer to something manifesting in the real world and material world, a talpa, let's say, or projection, which would be an illusion. 
Something that is not real, but we perceive as real. Moving on. I like your statement that maybe Gaia is harnessing us as a gateway to other dimensions, using us to create a new level of consciousness for itself. So, the great frontier in our pursuit is the nature of consciousness. What is the interface between our individual consciousness and the Gaian mind? The dream state. Does Gaia have an unconscious mind as well as a purposeful, self-aware consciousness? Stay tuned on that one. We have only scrapped the surface with our Gaia paranormal research, and it is an immense topic with the potential of yielding much of value. I encourage you to stay at it. Gaia in regards, and they added an emoji of the planet Earth, <laughs> which is very cute. So all in all, this individual was provided me very positive reception of my ideas, and they were intrigued by my uh, idea of <laughs> us polluting the planet for a Gaia purpose, but also my idea that Gaia is harnessing humanity to build a new form of consciousness for itself. And that opens the door to a lot of these questions. How do we interface with a Gaian consciousness? Is it the dream state? Does Gaia have an unconscious and a conscious mind and whatnot? So, I responded to this email, and I'm gonna go through my response, which is giant and very complex and elaborate. So... <laughs> <laughs> this is why I'm uh, reading this for a, a podcast episode. So after some introduction bits, I said, I am very glad you reached out to me in this manner with a very detailed review of my appearances and the ideas I conveyed. I'd never imagined my ideas might influence other people so deeply or be embraced by elders in the Fortean field such as yourself who have much more experience and understanding of the topics than I currently have. To comment on a few points. Regarding the destruction of the planet, this this is a very complex and controversial topic that is very politicized. I was referring to Lovelock originally being skeptical of the eco-activism movement, Lovelock being the scientist who proposed the guy hypothesis, and portraying it as more political than scientific. This is actually something he wrote about in his book. Like, his book came out in the 70s, I believe, uh, Gaia, A New Look at Life on Earth, and in the book he was highly critical of the eco-activism movement and said that Science does not support this idea that we are exponentially ruining the planet and the pla that the planet cannot heal itself from our influence. And then, obviously, this was the early 70s, but during the decades, we advanced our scientific understanding of our ecological influence on the planet, and then he realized, yeah, he was maybe not right there, but he did make it a very interesting point that maybe our perception of the whole destruction of the planet thing is maybe anthropocentric. Maybe we are looking at it from our perspective as humans, but maybe there is a whole Gaian perspective to all this. So I went on to write, however, as the decades progressed, we actually did gather enough understanding to realize that human influence on the planet is devastating. However, if our behavior is a product of Gaia and serves a Gaian purpose, then we can speculate that our negative impact also serves some kind of Gaian purpose. I use the analogy of plants producing seeds and preparing themselves physiologically to disperse. And sometimes even animals, for example salmon, invest all of their biological resources into reproduction, which leads to the death of the individual organism after offspring is produced, you people know already, salmon, after breeding, 
just die. You also may know that uh, plants, some plants which live only one year, create seeds, disperse those seeds, and then the plant just shrivels up and dies. There are even species of octopus and shrimp where the hatched offspring feeds off the body of their own mother who sacrifices herself so her offspring may develop enough to disperse. This is something in biology called matrophagy, where the baby eats the mother, kind of like how we are consuming Mother Earth now. These are very complex biological concepts I cannot go into on podcasts for general audiences, but also very taboo as well, as you guys may have noticed. I was going for the analogy of Gaia preparing us as seeds for her own dispersal and maybe sacrificing her own resources so we may unconsciously spread her overall being throughout the cosmos. This is the idea of, like, why is the planet Earth allowing us to cut down her forests? Maybe she is sacrificing her own resources, parts of her own being and body, so we may advance as a civilization, so we may develop consciousness and creativity, and maybe fulfill some higher purpose that is much higher than the purpose that was fulfilled maybe by that forest. I went on to write, this is just speculation, and I do realize it is a very taboo thing to say. And I do realize how taboo it is and that people may be yelling at me right now who are listening. However, you must realize that Gaia is not just people or just pandas and other cute species which are being lost to the anthropogenic sixth extinction. Gaia is every living being, even the ones who do not share the same plane of existence as humans. For example, as small as bacteria or as large as a whole biome. Gaia as a conglomerated superorganism is not concerned with the individual species, but rather the collective whole, and may sacrifice her own individual components if they are necessary for the development of something else, say a human consciousness which she may harness to transcend from a purely biological material existence to an abstract existence not constrained by biological and physical laws. So this is the idea I proposed of human serving as gateways to other dimensions for Gaia. And Gaia is grooming us so we may develop as highly intellectual species who tap into this abstract existence so she may use us <laughs> to exist in this abstract plane of reality. Again, this is only speculation. I went on to say, and it is based on understanding of how biological systems function, something that is not easy to explain to general audiences on podcasts. I may be very wrong, and frankly I hope I am, because I do not wish these ideas to be misunderstood as apologetics for ecological destruction. One thing I am opposed to most of all is anthropocentrism, the idea that humanity is the center of nature and that nature is there to serve humanity. This is a very wrong idea ideology because humans are a component of the Gaian whole, and the whole system depends on all of its components, not just one component. Let's say, for example, the brain. The brain is not the single most important organ of the human body. You can try to twist the ideology that other organs are in place there to ensure the brain functions, but that is wrong even from an evolutionary standpoint. So many organisms out there exist without any kind of brain or nervous system, so obviously the purpose of 
their own anatomical and physiological components is not to serve a brain. The brain, rather as an organ we people perceive as a generator of consciousness, would just be another adaptation that enables expansion of the organism into a wider and more complex dimension of existence. So again, this motif of transcending biological existence into a psychological abstract existence. I went on to say, I like to use the analogy of algae. You have unicellular, colonial, and multicellular algae. The reason unicellular algae started even aggregating into colonies is because it is safer in numbers. This allowed them to avoid predation. However, now as they formed a complex societal system, they were able to specialize certain parts of their system to perform certain tasks. The more specialized the system became, the more the constituent individual cells became dependent on the system and now could not live freely outside of it unlike their unicellular ancestors. However, contributing to a complex system opened up new dimensions for all the individuals within it, where now the whole system can better utilize their surroundings and distribute resources more efficiently. The larger the system became, the more it tapped into a higher dimension of existence. No longer does the algae need to live within the confines of a drop of pond water, but rather it grows, advances, and eventually forms a multicellular body, eventually evolves into vascular plant life, eventually dominates terrestrial habitats, and eventually, because we're talking about plants, completely changes the composition of the soil and the atmosphere, which eventually leads to the proliferation of aerobic life forms. Because if you guys didn't know, a long, long time ago in Earth's geological history, when uh, plant life started uh, creating oxygen, this led to the extinction of almost all life on Earth because almost all life on Earth was anaerobic. It did not breathe oxygen. So once plant life started creating oxygen, this led to the mass extinction of everything that did not use oxygen for respiration. You can thank algae and plants for being alive now, because if this did not happen, we would be bacteria or something else that never got the chance to evolve. And this further advancing not just the dimensions within which the individual organisms exist and influence their habitat, but also further advancing the dimensions or outreach of Gaia, allowing Gaia more control and regulation over the abiotic component, that's the non-living component, it's geology, and allowing Gaian life to integrate with non-living matter. I am not sure if this drive for complexity is a conscious force by Gaia, or if Gaia is a byproduct of matter's innate need to constantly advance in complexity. I feel there is a cosmic force that drives all matter to advance and become more complex. Maybe this is the universe's way of reducing entropy, because the universe is a Gaian entity itself, and reduction of entropy is a characteristic of living entities. So if the universe has a force that is there to reduce entropy, then we can say that the universe is a living being. And maybe humans are Gaia's resource of evolving beyond pure biological and physical existence and transcending into an abstract dimension where it may more easily spread and adapt within a collective unconsciousness. It took Gaia eons to get to the point where now she may exponentially diversify and expand her outreach, no longer just in the form of biological entities, but rather as a consciousness, ideas, living concepts and thoughts. Now, this is true and I wrote this, it happened even the other day. Many people have asked me about the interface, about whether we 
can communicate with Gaia. I use the analogy of asking you whether you are aware how your own cell in your body feels and what it is telling you. I am not certain that a Gaian entity, which we may even call a deity ideologically, would be able to sense individual components of a much lower ladder of the biological hierarchy. It is concerned only with the collective whole and the messages it receives from the higher but still sub-Gaian systems. For example, you are not aware of your individual lung cell, but you are aware of your lungs as a whole organ. The lungs communicate the consciousness of the collective whole of all the lung cells back to you. They are the interface. The Gaia may not sense individual species, but she may sense the collective whole of an entire ecosystem or biome. The interface is actually the hierarchy, the levels of organisms composing organisms, where each level of the ladder communicates with the level directly below or directly above it. A giant chain of command in a way. Gaia is not concerned with what you individually tell her as one single person. She is concerned with what your whole living ecosystem around you tells her. This is the issue I have with organized religion because it takes a very anthropocentric approach towards the idea of God. In Christianity, it is taught that every individual person interfaces with God directly. That the outside world does not matter because you can always speak to God and he will be there just for you instead of teaching us that God interfaces with a collective whole, not the individual. And the only way to love God is to take care of the collective whole not just yourself. This anthropocentric approach cuts all of nature and all higher entities out of the equation and simplifies the system where a human has direct access to the higher consciousness, which in turn promotes ego, which leads to extreme individualism, segregation, and humanity isolating itself from the whole natural system which depends on it. But maybe, just maybe, that is our reality for a purpose, and maybe humanity needs to have its own ego fed and live inside a societal eco-chamber so it may be enticed to seek discovery and expansion, so Gaia may eventually tap into an abstract component of its own reality. So in a way, maybe we are being tricked to only think of ourselves and be narcissistic egotists because it is the only way we will be forced to do something about it, to explore to be creative. And the more we explore and the more we create, the more we are expanding the outreach of Gaia because we are all Gaia's hands in a way. Don't get me wrong, Gaia still exists as material biological reality and still depends on the ecological processes to exist. What I am actually suggesting is evolution of a new component of herself. It is not the end-all be-all of her existence. It is just another aspect where she may express her reality and disperse it. Man, I wrote so much. I'm tired already. <laughs> this is the last paragraph, guys. So, I wrote, I am so sorry for making this very complicated and writing so much. I hope it cleared up any questions you had and opened up your mind to new perspectives. I am a person completely devoid of the ego I was mentioning and am completely aware that my ideas may be completely misguided and incorrect. And I am open to learn as I grow. This was not me telling you what to believe 
even or telling you that my views are the correct views. I am just sharing my views because I feel they may inspire those who are more informed than myself to maybe eventually reach the actual truth of the matter. Now, as you are obviously aware, uh, everything I wrote about is uh, regarding Gaia. It's not regarding the paranormal. It's regarding Gaia and how it interacts with our own consciousness. Now, something uh, Jordan and I briefly touched upon on my interview uh, for Campfire is this idea that was proposed by Greg Bishop, the co-creation hypothesis or whatever he calls it. So essentially it means that the paranormal is co-created by integrating and interacting with humanity, that the witness of the paranormal event is not a passive observer. So yeah, it is not a projection, but rather it is a manifestation uh, that is tailored to the witness. The paranormal interacts with the witness and then shows the witness something that is formed from their own psyche. In a way, this is much more magical than saying, oh, there is a primate Bigfoot walking around in the forest or a UFOs are alien craft and it's something other than ourselves because with co-creation, you are essentially the creator of the phenomenon. You have the power to influence how the phenomenon manifests. Now, we touched upon this briefly, me and Jordan, but after recording with him, I was thinking about these things and then I shared something with him. So maybe this is a treat for those who have stayed <laughs> until this long in this weird episode. Um, th This will be a very, I, I believe it will be a very big treat for you. So how I see the co-creation hypothesis, the hypothesis that uh, humans and the other interact together to form a phenomenon is that it works like a key and a lock. That the other, the source of the paranormal that interacts with us is a lock. And it is, as a lock, it is adaptable. It can assume the shape of the key. But we are the rigid key, the key whose shape is formed by the collective unconsciousness and the cultural and historical context, our own experiences, influences of media, and our own personality. We are the rigid key with a certain shape. And once we as the key interact with the lock, the lock assumes the form of the key. It reads us and it adapts to us. And once it is adapted to us as the key, it opens the door to a paranormal experience. We are essentially the translators of the source of the paranormal, and we translate it into a psychological or paranormal phenomenon. Now, to better explain this to you, I always use the analogy of language. Language exists, but can you prove it exists? How can you materially, scientifically prove language exists? Can you touch it? Can you measure it? You can say, oh, there is a book, and the book is physical evidence of language existing, but it is only evidence of language existing if you have the human who is capable of translating the symbology of the book. So without the human, the book is just a pile of paper with symbols on it. You do not have the interpreter of the symbology. You can throw away the book to a dog, the dog will eat it. The dog is not aware that the book is a source of information and knowledge and enlightenment. You can throw the book away in a forest, it will succumb to the elements, it will rot. Its material existence is just a freaking pile of paper with symbols on it, but 
it expresses its influence by utilizing us because we are the entities who have the built-in context to translate the material symbology of the book into concepts and ideas and thoughts into a form that exists in, in a consciousness in an abstract dimension. We translate the letters on a physical book which materially exists into a form that exists as ideas that can be passed on between people and between generations and evolve. The book can't evolve. It is a material thing. It's an object. It can just succumb to the elements. It cannot change. But you as the person reading the book, you are transcending it into a form where now it is independent of material and physical law, and now it can be changed, it can be influenced by your own psyche, you can pass it on to other people, and then it adapts to their psyche, and so on and so on, and you have these ideas and concepts diverge and evolve. Now, isn't that the same as how biological entities diverge and evolve? Only biological entities evolve through millions of years and living ideas and concepts evolve very exponentially, very quickly. So I would think that the paranormal acts like that. It requires the human in order to interpret it because the paranormal essentially has this innate need to transcend into an abstract form of existence to inject itself into the collective unconsciousness, into the human mind. Now, the human mind itself ha is hardwired to interpret symbols because we have Jungian archetypes and baseline ideas ingrained into our brains. But when we interact with this thing, whatever it is, the other, <laughs> the paranormal, the Fortean, we translate it into some wild concepts that are shaped and formed by these hardwired Jungian archetypes and symbols in our minds interacting with the historical and cultural and personal contexts we, we carry with ourselves to form some manifestation, a reflective image of ourselves. As I've been saying for a long time, the paranormal is a mirror to our own subconsciousness. And if there's some guy in purpose for that, I don't know. If there is, is it to scare us away? Or is it to entice us to dig further and explore? The more creative we become, the more intellectually, culturally, abstractly complex we become, the more we are div diversifying this giant playground for Gaia to express herself. Because we are the components of Gaia, we are her building blocks, we are the cells of her being, and if we tap into some kind of collective unconsciousness, then surely that collective unconsciousness is there for us, but uh, ultimately it has a much higher Gaian purpose, and it is there for Gaia. It is a new form of existence for her, a new dimension for her to express her own being. Maybe the paranormal is this control mechanism to put us in line. Maybe it is a guy in consciousness communicating with us to scare us or to entice us to become more creative so she may reproduce, so she may expand her radius of domination of the cosmos. Not physically, maybe we don't master interplanetary travel, but maybe we master intergalactic communication via radio signals or something, and maybe we spread living concepts to other consciousnesses all across the galaxy without ever reaching them physically. Maybe we channel our ideas to them. Who knows? Or maybe UFOs are just aliens visiting us, and maybe Bigfoot is an ape out there in the forest, or 
rather a projection of Gaia there to spark an emotional reaction in us. So we may see this fuzzy human-like thing in the forest and think, wow, I don't want to destroy the planet anymore because I want this magical thing to still keep existing. 